Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. about being positioned for growth. And we're going to spend three weeks talking about this, and I'll break that down a little bit more for you later. I want to say to you that you cannot, or none of us can grow if we are not in a position that is conducive to growth. Nothing can grow unless it is in a position that is conducive to growth. If you go down to your nursery and you want to buy some plants to put into your garden, you will find different variations. Some need full sun. Some need semi-shade, others need shade. Some plants need a lot of sun. That is the position that is conducive for them to grow. Others need a lot of water. Some need very little water. You water them too much, they will die. Any of you killed a plant by watering it too much? I'm eager. I want the thing to grow. And you water it too much and it dies. Any of you guilty of killing a plant because not watering it enough? We all have. And so we get this idea that for anything to grow properly as it should, it needs to be placed in the right environment for it to grow. It needs to be placed in an environment where it can consistently, not once in a while, but consistently receive what it needs in a healthy and in a stable environment. You transplant a plant one, two, three times, you stunt that plant's growth very often to the point where it will never reach its potential anymore. You've stunted its growth too much, and the chances that it'll die are strong. I want to say this to you. Any organism or anything that is healthy grows. Any organism, any living thing that is healthy grows. Something that is not healthy, if something is not growing, there's something wrong. Psalm 92, verse 13 to 14 says this, Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Planted in the house of the Lord. They shall still bear fruit in old age. Anybody say hallelujah? Yeah, I thought I might get that from some of you. They shall be fresh. Fresh. What does fresh mean? Full of sap. Full of the vitality of life. Full of the stuff that brings forth fruit and that carries life within it, and flourishing, green and healthy. Now, what is the house of God symbolic of? It is the presence of God. Old covenant, the house of God is the temple. You and I today are the temple of God. Amen? But the house of God speaks of those who are planted in the presence of God. Why? Because the presence of God is the place that is conducive to your spiritual growth. Did you get that? The only place that is conducive to our spiritual growth is in and within the presence of God. Now, we can learn things from the world around us, but there is a place where if we are planted there, planted means established, abiding in that place. Though the winds may buffet, though things may go on around us, 
We're in a place that is conducive to growth. We're in a place where we can withstand those things so that we are not the victims of them, but we flourish in spite of them. Over the next few weeks, like I said, I want to talk to you about three key areas of growing, growing, of being positioned for growth. What I believe the Lord is saying to us in this time has a lot to do with positioning. When I say positioning, I do not mean physical positioning. I mean positioning of our hearts, the attitude of our hearts towards the Lord. We're going to talk today about growing in. Next week, we're going to talk about growing out. No, it's not what you think. Not like that. And then we're going to talk about growing up. How many of you know God wants us to grow up? Anything that is living needs to grow, needs to show signs of maturation. Fruit trees, they take a long time to bear their fruit. Some up to seven years, I think others up to 11 years in some cases. A long time of growth before they come to a place of maturity to bear fruit. But what, when you plant that tree, what is the hope? The hope is fruit. The hope is for maturity. And you journey with it, you cultivate it, you fertilize it, you work with it until it gets to that point. And then you continue to do those things to to maximize fruitfulness. Another beautiful example of this is found in the book of Psalms again, Psalm chapter 1, or the first Psalm. And we'll read the first three verses. It says, blessed. Now the word blessed there is a, is a loaded word. It means blessed, prosperous, uh, whole, lacking nothing, desiring nothing. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates all day and all night. I want to just talk to you about that word meditate. What does it mean? It's talking about a soul here that is ever mindful of God. Write down those words, ever mindful. How can you go about your business every day and meditate on the law and meditate on the word of God all day? How do you do that? How do you do that and answer phones? How do you do that and do business and concentrate on what you are doing? Look, ladies, maybe you can do this. You're the, you're, the, you're the multitasking type. Us guys, I speak for myself, I certainly can't do two things at once. Certainly not well. I consider myself really overachieving when I can drive and breathe at the same time and sing a song. I, 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 then I'm really firing on all cylinders. How do you meditate on the, on, on the Word of God all day long. It means that as you go about your day and whatever it is that you are doing, you are ever mindful of God. Have you had a conversation with somebody? You had coffee, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend, but they said something that really impacted you and you, that, that touched your life. And as you go about it, of course, there's a shift maybe. And as you go about your day, that thought constantly comes to mind. And you, sure, they said that. I can't believe that they think that way. I can't believe that they thought that about me. It may be something good. It may be something bad. But that thought keeps coming back to you. Do you know what, you know what I'm talking about? Now, if you spend morning by morning with the Lord, and if God has the, the opportunity to speak to you, do you not think that those words that the God of heaven and earth speaks to your heart are going to come back to you again and again and again? 
Why? Because they're going to shift you. They're going to change the way you think about something. They're going to impact your life in such a way that you're going to go about your day and just, wow, I'm going to think about that again. Or perhaps God's bringing correction to you in a certain area of your life or of your heart, and you realize that there's an attitude that needs to shift, and so you get placed in that position again where that attitude gets rubbed. But now, what are you mindful of? You're mindful of what God's been saying, right? That's what it means to meditate on the Word all day long. It's just to be ever mindful of what it is that God is saying to me, ever mindful that I am loved, ever mindful that I'm a child of God, and ever mindful that wherever I go, I'm salt and light. I'm just there to reflect His glory. Verse 3 says, He shall be that person who is like that, like a tree planted by the rivers of living water, or the rivers of water. Now, isn't that a place conducive to growth? That person shall be like a tree that is never going to want for water. It's got all the water it could possibly want. It's planted right there by the river. And it brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Whatever he does shall prosper. Now, how many of you want to live a life in that state? A life where we are strong in the Lord, where no matter what assails us from the outside cannot overcome us because we are so filled with the life and the sustenance of God within us. We are strong. Jesus made a similar analogy. He spoke about a vine, John chapter 15. You know, I think in all the messages I've preached, I don't think there's a chapter in the Bible or a portion of Scripture that I've preached on more than John chapter 15 and the story of the vine. And it's just something that keeps coming back to me again and again and again. It's, it's the message of abiding in Christ. It's the message of understanding that everything we are and everything that, could possibly, that we could possibly need is found in Jesus. And as long as we abide there, we're not going to struggle to bear fruit. It's not going to be a chore or a schlep. But we are filled. Our hearts are nourished and strengthened every day because we're abiding in that place of all and full sufficiency. Jesus says this in Psalm 15, verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. So where's, where's the focus here? The focus here is not he who does a lot of things for me will bear much fruit. He who prays a lot will bear much fruit. It doesn't say any of those things. He who goes to church a lot will bear much fruit. It says he who abides in me will bear much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If you abide in me. Now, what does this abiding mean? I want to say those two words again. Ever mindful. Ever mindful. Ever mindful. Where he, say, he says it another way. He says, if, my thoughts, if you have my thoughts, my thoughts are in you and you are in me. It's this idea that I can live life from a place where I'm ever mindful of the will and the presence of Jesus Christ. If, my, if, I, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. A few years ago they released a new uh, translation of the Bible. You know these translations, there's a lot of them out there these days. Most of them pretty good. A lot of people spend a lot of time knocking translations of the Bible because they're not 100% accurate. I think what a lot of these translations try and help us do is unpack the fullness of Scripture in greater dimension, in greater measure. Um, I don't want to get off top, you know, off, off into something that is, that is not of God, but there's a translation that came out recently called the Passion Translation. 
I want to read you the same verses from the Passion Translation because it puts it really well. I am the sprouting vine and you are my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. Isn't that amazing? But when you live separated from me, you're powerless. But if you live in life union with me, and if my words live powerfully within you, then you can ask whatever you desire, and it will be done. When your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify my Father. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that beautiful? And you see all of these psalms, all of these analogies that I've given, they all speak of one thing. They speak of a positioning of the heart. A positioning of the heart. A positioning in a place to receive. Folks, you and I need to receive daily. Now, as part of the prayer that Jesus taught to pray his disciples, or taught his disciples to pray, he said, Our Father, give us this day our daily bread. We are needing daily bread. We are need to receive. We need to receive sustenance. Now we understand with the need to receive sustenance for our physical bodies. How much more is that a picture of what we need in the spirits? Spiritual condition. How is your spirit man? Is your spirit man a bodybuilder? Is your spirit man malnourished? Is your spirit man a fitness freak? Do you, run on, do, you, do you go on marathon prayer sessions? Some people are designed for that short, sharp, powerful burst. You know, you've got your Usain Bolt prayers. Other people are your Bruce Fordyce prayers. And they just run and run and run and run. And run. You ever been in a prayer meeting with one of those people? Man, it's tiring. But when I speak about your, your, your spiritual condition, you understand what I talk about. As much as our physical man needs strength, needs exercise, needs food, needs sustenance, the state of our heart is the same. We need to, what God is saying to us is, there is much that I want to do, much strength I want to give you. What I'm asking of you is just one thing. I want you to position yourself in a place where you can receive. It's about positioning. It's about opening hearts. And I want you to please open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 10. If you've got it on a device, that's fine. But I want to show you something from the Scriptures that really spoke powerfully to me. I went away this week. I I had the the privilege of being able to go away for a couple of days just to go and pray and be with the Lord. Beautiful place called Formut out near Hermanus. And so I've had a wonderful time this week just sitting in the Lord's presence, waiting upon Him. And this portion of Scripture spoke very powerfully to me. It's a, it's a common, it's a well-known portion of Scripture. It's the account of where Cornelius receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I may jump over a little bit, but we're going to start, I'm reading from the New King James, we're going to start from verse 1. And I want to read so that we understand the whole story. We've got a bit of time, and so we, I just want to unpack this a little bit. And there's some key, key, key things here that I want to focus on. Let's just, let's just preface this, this with... A thought. When we read the scripture, we need to understand the context we're talking in. Jesus has died, he's risen again, he has now ascended into heaven. 
This is after the day of Pentecost, where they were all gathered and where the Holy Spirit came down and fell on the people. Now that gathering was primarily a gathering of Jews. Right? And they were there and they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they knew that there was a promised Messiah that was promised to them and to their nation. And so they received this, this, this Holy Spirit as the seal of that promise. And they're now journeying with that. And they're now working this out and, and, and enjoying this new fullness of life that they'd never experienced before. And so we understand that that is busy happening in and amongst them when, this, when we come into this chapter. Verse 1 of chapter 10 of Acts. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Prayed to God always. Let's just bring that phrase back in again. How can you go about your daily job and pray to God always? You can't. Always means always. But what does it mean there? It means that he had a consistent devotion, a consistent discipline of prayer in his life, where daily he was praying to God. And I believe what that scripture also means is that as he went about his day, no matter what he was doing, there was an awareness or an ever-mindfulness of God's presence. His heart was orientated towards God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid, and he said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa, and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Let's pause there for a moment. So this man, God appears to him through an angel. He sends this man an angel. And he says to him, this is what you need to do. Go send for this. He doesn't give him any more instructions. He doesn't tell him what's in store. He does not tell him why. All he says is go, send for this man. And he tells him where he must be. Verse 9. The next day they went on their journey and drew near the city. Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. Now I want you to notice something here. God used his physical desire for food to speak to him. God ever done that to you? I digress. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And heaven opened, and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. 
So here Peter wants to eat. He's hungry, and he gets this vision from God of food coming down. But now all of a sudden, what? Because of the way, because of Peter's Jewish beliefs, he says, no, God, I can't eat this stuff. And God says to him, no, 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 what I have cleansed, you must eat. And God had to say this to him, not once, but three times. How many of you struggle sometimes to hear and obey the first time? There's a beautiful picture of Peter. He denies Jesus three times. On the shore afterwards, Jesus restores him three times. Here, God wants to usher Peter into a completely new dimension, and again, he needs three times. I want to say God will persist with you for as long as it takes to bring you to where he wants you to be, to take you to where he wants you to go. But it's better if we get it the first time. So we see, now, so let's pick up the story again without too much more elaboration. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood there before the gate. I love this story because when we look at the apostles, we, we so often think of them as these people who just knew exactly what to do. God would speak and they do. And, and I love this wrestling. I love this grappling that Peter has in the spirit. He's praying. He sees this vision. He doesn't quite understand it, but he knows that God is talking to him. And he's sitting there and he's pondering on this vision. And suddenly people come and they knock on the door. And 18, and they called and asked whether Simon, whose name, surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and meet with them, doubting nothing. I have sent them. While Peter was meditating on this, the Spirit said to him, then Peter went down to the men who had seen, who'd been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am the one whom you seek, and for that reason I have come. And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in, they lodged there, and the next day they went off. Now, I want to stop reading there, and I'll tell you the rest of the story. So the next day, they go down, they go meet Cornelius. It was a big hoo-ha, because the Jews were not even supposed to socialize with these people. It's not just, it wasn't just sort of, okay, well, they don't believe what we believe. There was a national prejudice against these people. And so Peter and a few guys go with him, and they start talking there, and, and and God sent Cornelius, sent, asked Cornelius to send for Peter. God told Peter to meet these people and go with them. And in that moment, as they begin sharing about who Jesus is, what happens? The Holy Spirit falls on the whole place. And everybody starts speaking in other tongues and is baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not just the Jews, but Cornelius and his whole household. And Peter sits back and the people wonder, what is going on here? Because these are not Jews. These are Gentiles. And the story ends with them baptizing them. And obviously the Spirit of God is now available not just to the Jewish nation, but to every single one of us. Jew, Gentile, Greek, South African, you name it. Now let me tell you this, or ask you this. How is it that Cornelius was able to hear the voice of, the God, and, of God and recognize that angel? How is it that Peter knew what to do when people came knocking at the door. 
the fact that you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit today is testament to the fact that there were two men many, many years ago who at the same time positioned themselves in a place to receive from God. When Peter had his vision, he was up on the roof in prayer. When Cornelius was visited by the angel, the Bible says he was a man who prayed always. Their hearts were continually orientated towards the Lord to receive from him. Both Cornelius and Peter were ready to, be, to receive from God and were ready to be led by God. Folks, if God had to start speaking to us today, would we be ready to receive? Would we be, are we prepared to listen? Are we prepared? Are our hearts, is the, what am I talking about here? I'm talking about the attitude of my heart, the meekness of my heart, to hear the voice of God and say, yes, Lord. Open channels of communication, making sure that our thinking and our believing is aligned to the Word of God. I love Peter's heart. It's so honest and it's so sincere before the Lord. He's really grappled with, with what it is that God, God was trying to say to him. But I want to say this to you as well. I want to take you back to when Jesus, before Jesus goes in, in John chapter 16 and he's praying for his disciples. John chapter 16, verse 7, he says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. What is he, t- what is he talking about there? He's, he's talking about the fact that if I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't come, and you need the Holy Spirit. Why? Verse 12 and 13, Because I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take of what is Mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are Mine, therefore I said he who, he, that He will take of Mine and declare it to you. And there's this picture where Jesus says, there are many things I want to share with you, but you cannot bear them now. Jeremiah 33, there are many things I want to show you. Call to me, because there's things I want to show you that you do not know. The question is this, is the reason God cannot share them with us yet because we are not yet able to bear them? I think of the letter that Paul writes to the Corinthians. He says, I came and there's many things I wanted to share with you, but I couldn't. I wanted to share the meat of the Word of God with you, but I can't. I need to feed you milk because you guys are still babies. There's still divisions and strife among you. I look at your lives. You cannot bear what I'm trying to give you, what I desire to do, what I desire to give you. Your hearts are not orientated in the right place. You're still selfish. You're still fixated on your own lives and your own well-being. You're still jockeying for position among yourselves, trying to prove your point, trying to be the head honcho, all of this kind of stuff going on among you. You cannot handle the meat of God's Word. So I have to give you milk. But what is the hope when you give somebody milk? That they are going to grow. He doesn't cast them off. He encourages them to grow. But it's as though, I want you to see it from two points of view. The one is, come here please, Craig. 
The one is, and we often, we often get this kind of feeling in church, that there's somebody behind us saying, come on, man, move ahead, grow up. Get, I want you to get to where I'm trying. Hurry up, Craig. Push, Craig, come on. And sometimes we feel that way, that there's ministers behind the pulpit pushing us to go. And hurry up, man, and grow up. There's things God wants to show. Hurry up, man. Hallelujah, amen. And we must get excited spiritually about that. This is completely devoid of real relationship. But it's very different. I said, Craig, come here. I want to show you some things. I heard something this morning, and I believe it's for you. I want to show you this wonderful thing. Oh, and I've got a gift for you. And there's this wonderful destiny that I have. And I've got something for you as well that's for Chantel. It's not even for you. But I want you to receive it for her. Can you do that for me? Oh, and by the way, I've got a message uh, for Megan. But, you know, I'm not, going to be able, I'm not going to see her today because her day is so busy and she's not going to spend time with me. And um, I don't know about tomorrow either because I know what she's going to be up to then. The next three months will look dodgy. But I have this word that may just change all of that. Could I ask you to just tell Megan something for me? Do you understand the difference? Thanks, Craig. This is what I'm talking to you about. There's, there's a God that wants to take your hand right now and lead you somewhere brand new. I remember years ago I had a vision as I was praying concerning a change that was coming in, in my life, in the life of Helen and I. And there was this well-established road. If you imagine uh, a farmland, a uh, gravel road, grass and tall wheat on the side. So, you, so there's, it's an established place. It's an established road. It's a well-traveled road. And this is the road I'm heading down. And I, I feel I know where I'm going. And it's a comfortable place. And then there's a little footpath going off. And all I can see is about three meters of the footpath before it curves slightly. And you can't actually see the path anymore because the wheat's too high around it. I'm standing on the path with Jesus with his hand up. Say, come, somewhere else I want to take you. Now, I don't know where he wants to take me. I don't know where he wants to go. But I know the one who wants to take me. And all my heart wants to do is follow. Because when I put my hand in his hand, I'm safe. I'm secure. He's not going to let me fall. He's my good shepherd. He's going to lead me in pastures green. He loves me. He trusts me. Or I trust him, should I say. Whether or not he trusts me yet is dependent on a lot of things. But the point is this. The voice of the Lord is calling us to take his hand. I think about Peter on that beach sometimes with Jesus. Broken because he betrayed him three times. And Jesus comes and they have a fish fry together. I'm sure it was snook. That's the only kind of fish fry that's worth having, right? Typical Cape Tonians. Not going to get snook out there in the Sea of Galilee. Anyway, they're having their snook braai, apricot jam, garlic butter. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? I want you to hear that. He doesn't say to Peter, Peter, look, you messed up, but we've got this kingdom we've got to build, and you've learned some things. I want to use you anyways. He, says, he just says this, Peter, do you love me? Folks, this morning, when you look at your life, when you look at your heart attitude before God, just close your eyes for me for a moment. Close your eyes. I want you to picture something. Imagine Jesus walked into this place right now. And imagine he walked right down the aisle and he stood in front of the pulpit. And he looked at you. Now imagine he moved from the pulpit right to where you are coming. What is your heart filled with? Is your heart filled with fear that he knows what's actually going on inside? Is your heart 
warm and open and ready to receive Him? Are you rejoicing in His presence or are you fearful? I feel as though Jesus is, is that close and that near to us. And it's as though He's standing right in front of us with His heart full of love, no judgment, no condemnation. He doesn't care about all the other stuff. There's just one thing that Jesus cares about, just one thing and one thing alone. And as He stands before you this morning, it's just one question. Do you love me? Do you love me? Look at me for it again. Thank you. Jesus sits before you this morning and He says, do you love me? What do you think he means? Do you think he means, oh, have you done anything? Or have you done this? Have you done that? Or do you think he just means, do you love me? I think he just means, do you love me? Because I love you and I want to walk with you. And I want to take you places. And I want to show you things. Great and wonderful things that you don't know. Jesus didn't tell Peter there on the beach that day that the Gentiles were going to receive the baptism and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He didn't tell Peter there that day that he would preach and in, in, in one sermon, 2,000 souls would be saved. He didn't tell Peter that that day because Peter wasn't ready to receive that day. And on that day when he preached and those 2,000 Jews got, got saved and what we would call born again and filled with the Holy Spirit, he didn't tell him that a little way down the road he's going to be going to the Gentiles and they're doing the same thing. Why not? Because he wasn't yet ready to receive that yet. But Peter walked a road and he, he walked a journey with God where his heart remained open. And where God was able to work to him with him to bring him to the place where he could receive something new and enjoy that and experience the fullness of God's love and his presence in that moment and in that situation. And then he carried on journeying with him to the next moment where God showed himself powerful and strong on his behalf. He couldn't receive that there. And he couldn't receive this here. But there was a journey of growth. But what's the thread that we see through it all? Right from the beginning, despite his eccentricities, despite his, his, his nature of being, you know, all in, Extreme, radical. I mean, you talk about um, what, there's the extreme highs and the extreme lows. What do people call that? Not extremes. There's a personality disorder, actually. Bipolar. I mean, Peter was bipolar. If anybody was bipolar, it was Peter. And yet in all of that, Jesus journeys with him. Holy Spirit journeys with him. Folks, many of the struggles that we have in being led by God is that we do not have a right understanding of who God is or what He has made us to be. And when our perception of God becomes subject to how we feel or what we see going on around us, we begin to become frustrated with this God that we've created because He's not the actual God. He's not in the storm, He's not in the earthquake, He's not in the fire. He's just standing in front of you day by day saying, hey, do you love me? I love you. As you are, I just love you. I want you to be with me. I want you to come with me. There's something I want to show you. You see, what you perceive determines what you receive. That's why the perception I want to create in your heart this morning as you leave this place today 
is not of a God that is demanding you to jump through burning hoops without His grace to do it at least. But it's of a God who's just saying, I want to walk with you. I want your heart. Some things I want to show you. You're not ready to receive them yet. You're not in the place yet. But if you come with me, I'll lead you there. And I'll show you how. God wants to deal with your misconceptions. He wants to help you get rid of your sin. And, your pers- and He wants to work in, in all the areas of your life, in all the things that block the channels of communication between us and God. That's where God is on the move right now. To bring us into a position, to bring us into a place in His love, according to the truth of His Word, and through fellowship and intimacy with Him and with His Holy Spirit, where we can receive what Paul calls the fullness of God where we can overflow. The Bible talks, it talks about the Holy Spirit. It says, don't be drunk with wine, but be drunk in the Spirit. You don't get drunk with wine by having a glass of wine. You get drunk with wine by having too much. More than you can handle. And God says, be drunk in the Spirit. If you think of a, a glass or a container of water, God is not wanting you to be, to be sort of filled with the Spirit, and then you go out and you pour a little bit there and you pour a little bit there out of that which He's given you. No, this is for you. God wants to put so much in that you actually overflow, that you have more than you can contain, and therefore you have to find vessels to go and pour it out in, otherwise it's going to go to waste. It's going to spill over. That's the place God's calling us to. Can you do that? I can't do that. Can you manufacture that? I can't manufacture that. No matter how much I pray, no matter how much I do, no matter how much I strive, no matter how much I struggle, I can't do that. That's up to Him. What can I do? I can make sure my heart is in a place that says, God, I'm here. I'm here for you. I love you. I want more of you. I want to know what it is that you have for me. I want to take your hand. I want to say to you, this doesn't initiate. We don't initiate this. It doesn't start with us. It has already been started. It has already been initiated by God. And the moment you gave your heart to Him, it's just the moment you said, hey, okay, I'll come along. Now, have you maybe been camping for a while? Have you maybe gotten stuck along the way? Have you maybe found things a bit rough or taken your eyes off Him or got got caught up and sidetracked in cares of this life and all these kinds of things? God wants you to grow. And the time and season we're in, saying, I want you to grow in. Come take my hand. Somewhere I want to lead you. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.